Good afternoon. How is everyone enjoying Tahoe so far? Have you made it down to the lake yet? If you, yeah, I hear there's this big lake down yonder, so very nice. Uh, as was mentioned, my name is Carissa McSherry. Um, I want to share with you three things that people always ask about me when I first go to a seminar, and so I like to get it just out of the way. Uh, again, my name is Carissa McSherry. I'm six feet, two inches tall, and yes, I play basketball. So if you were wondering, your questions are now answered. Uh, it's a blessing again to be here with you. I do work with Amazing Facts. I'm the outreach administrator there. And it's been really a blessing this past year as we've been traveling around the, glo- the globe and we're bringing these training seminar programs and just seeing how God is, is working amongst his people today. <laughs> seeing that gospel commission truly going out, it has just been such a blessing to see uh, God's church at work. And I just want to share just a portion of that with you today and then also over the next few afternoons. Today we're going to be looking at the Divine Commission, our mission today as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists. So why am I involved in evangelism? I remember back in 2006, I attended this small college, the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. It is a four-month course. It's located in the Rockland area. I went there to that program not really knowing what to expect. I wasn't sure where to go next in life, what the next step was, and so I said, hey, now's a perfect time. I'll, I'll check it out. And as part of that AFCO curriculum, we would go out into the field and we would do outreach every Thursday afternoon, every Sunday afternoon. We were doing cooking schools. We were helping with health expos. We were giving Bible studies. And I remember working in this community. It was the community of my dreams. You know that community where the cops are constantly circling? Where the guys are out front with those little baggies and they're dealing drugs? Have you seen those communities before? Those communities that you roll up the windows and you lock the door? That was my outreach territory. I was thrilled about my outreach territory because you see the people there were open. They were interested, they were excited, they were looking for something more in their life and it was a blessing that God placed us there. I remember doing surveys in this one apartment complex and and I had to walk past the guys that were out front and they're smoking their joints. And they soon became known as the Christian girl. Oh, here comes the Christian girl giving Bible studies again. I remember this one friend that I met there by the name of Betsy. Betsy was the Bible study friend of your dreams. She was always there, always on time, always excited about doing the Bible studies, always had her lesson completed. And so I would go there every Thursday and have Bible studies with Betsy. When our prophecy seminar soon began, I invited Betsy to come to the seminar, and she was coming out faithfully every night to our prophecy seminar. One afternoon, I was driving around my outreach territory, visiting some of my other Bible study friends, and I got the very clear and strong impression, you need to go visit Betsy. Have you ever argued with the Lord before? I'm glad I'm not the only one. (laughs) Lord, I don't need to visit her. She's coming to the seminar every night. She's going to be at the seminar tonight. If I go to her house every single day, what is she going to start thinking? I'm stalking her, right? (laughs) Not giving her any breathing space. And so I argued with the Lord, I don't need to visit Betsy. But that conviction kept coming back and over and over again. You need to visit Betsy. You need to visit Betsy. So finally, just to get my conscience to be quiet... I pulled up in front of that apartment complex and I climbed up the stairs to Betsy's little apartment there. I knocked on the door and there was no answer. Surprised me, Betsy was typically home and I I knocked on the door again and still no answer. But I knew that God had brought me there for a reason. I knew I had been convicted and so I knocked a third time. And the Betsy that opened the door was not the Betsy I was expecting. You could see that there was this emptiness, this hurt, this depression that had just overwhelmed her. And I remember saying, Betsy, what's wrong? Betsy, what happened? We went into her living room and we sat down together and Betsy shared with me, Carissa, I was in my living room trying to figure out the best way to take my life the best way to commit suicide. 
what if I had kept arguing with the Lord? What if I had not gone to her house that day? I remember sitting there in her living room and we cried together. We prayed together. We hugged each other. We shared Bible promises together. And it was incredible to see the power of God work to transform her heart. I was able to connect her with a local pastor and he continued to counsel with her and she continued to come to that prophecy seminar. And at the very end of the seminar, I had the incredible blessing of seeing Betsy commit her life to Christ and go into that watery grave of baptism. And when I saw Betsy make that decision for Christ, when I saw how the gospel had transformed her life, I said, Lord, that's it. I don't want to do anything else with my life. I want to be in ministry. God has people all around us that are crying out, that are looking for something greater in their lives. What is our calling? What is our purpose as Christians today? Please bow your heads with me in prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are here because we love you. We are here because we want to learn from you. May your Holy Spirit teach us, Lord. May you open our hearts and our minds. May you impress upon us, Lord, those in our community and our friends that you would have us to reach. We thank you, Father, and we pray this trusting in Jesus' name. Amen. Division. Controversy. Anger backbiting. You see, when Jesus looked at his disciples, he did not see a group of men that were united and on fire. He saw men that were arguing, were they not? Who's going to be the greatest? Arguing about what their role would be in the kingdom. Can you imagine having these men, these 12 men, and looking at them and saying, these are the men that are going to take the gospel to the ends of the world? If they can't even get along together, how are they going to take this gospel? How are they going to reach other souls with this inspiring message? What was Christ's solution? What did he say? How did he empower them? What work did he give to them that day? Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 is a very familiar passage to us. It contains what message? Matthew 28, the Great Commission, got it. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you. How long? Always. Even unto the end of the age. To me, the most encouraging part is, lo, I am with you. Always. You see, when we set out in this work, as we go as, as ministers for Jesus Christ, we do not go alone. We are going with Jesus Christ. Lo, I am with you always. Here is Christ's blueprint for evangelism as found in Matthew 28. The first step in evangelism is do what? Go. Get off our comfortable pews. Get off our lazy boys. Go and make disciples. Making disciples. Does that take time? How long did it take Christ? Three and a half years. And even still, were they perfect? <laughs> They were still learning and growing, were they not? Discipleship takes time. Often when someone comes into the faith and they accept Jesus Christ, we say, oh, congratulations, here's your spot on the pew. But is the work over? No. The discipleship has just begun. The training, the growth, the nurturing has just begun. Of course, there is the baptismal. There is teaching them to observe all things. And then we must teach them to do what? To go. You see, if we do not teach them to go, by default, we teach them to sit. Did you catch that? If we do not teach them to go, by default, we teach them to sit. When someone accepts Christ, when they are new in that faith, do they have a lot of family and friends that haven't heard this message before? 
Absolutely. Are they excited? Are they passionate? Absolutely. What a great time to capitalize on that and to encourage them to reach their family and their friends for Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at eight points today in the Gospel Commission and how it applies to the church collectively and also to us today as individuals. The first portion here is found in Gospel Workers, page 29. It says, the commission given to the disciples is given also to us. Today, as then, a crucified and risen Savior is to be uplifted before those who are without God and without hope in the world. This great commission is not something that was just given 2,000 years ago. This great commission is something given to us today. Inspiration tells us that there are people all over this world And they are crying up to heaven. They are looking for something greater in their lives. And you have the story to share. You have the gospel that changes hearts. David Livingston once said, If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? If we were to be given a commission by the highest authority of the land, if the president was to send us forth forth as an ambassador, would we not be excited? Wow, I get to represent the United States of America? But so much more so. We have a commission from the king of the universe. He is sending us out as ambassadors. What could be more important than that? What could be a greater work? Have you ever told your testimony to someone and had them say, wow, you've really given up a lot to be a Christian? Have you heard that before? You hear these testimonies of people that were in these crazy rock bands or whatever their testimony was, and they gave it all up and they accepted Jesus Christ, and and we think, wow, they sacrificed a lot. All that fame, all that popularity, all that money, wow, what they sacrificed for Jesus. Is it a sacrifice? No. We look at our lives and we say, wow, that was so hard and I gave this up. Did we give up anything compared to the sacrifice of the Son of God? I've given up nothing. Nothing compared to what Christ has given us today. So why was this work given to us? Why are we the ones to share this gospel commission? Remember, God can speak through a donkey. He can make the stones cry out. He can speak through a rooster if he needs to. Why would God use us? Desire of Ages, page 142. God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid. A little humbling moment, right? But in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. In order to enter into his joy, the joy of seeing souls redeemed by his sacrifice, we must participate in his labors for their redemption. Today, are you desiring to have a character like Jesus Christ? Amen. That is why we are here at camp meeting. The beautiful fellowship we have with each other being in nature, but coming together and we're craving that presence of God. We're craving to learn more about him and God wants to give us his character. But how do we have that character? What are we told here? We must share in his work. If we want to have his character, we must participate in his labors. I remember this one summer, I was, I was working as a Bible worker, and every day I was going out into the field, the outreach field, and, and I'm knocking on doors, and I'm doing surveys, health surveys, and offering Bible studies, and giving Bible studies every single day in very, very, very hot Sacramento. And I remember, you know, as a Bible worker, the first Bible study that you typically give to someone is Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2. What is contained in Daniel 2? The statue, the image, Nebuchadnezzar. Why do we share that study? What does it prove? 
where we are today proves the, the authority of the Bible, the validity of the Bible. What did I over here? Absolutely. It shows the future. God knows the future. He cares about our future. So that's the first Bible study I would give. I just want to set that foundation. And I remember every single day you're meeting people and you're giving that same Bible study. Daniel 2, every week. After a while, I could have given that Bible study in my sleep. In fact, I remember one night I actually had a dream with the image in it. Ah. How do you share that same study and still have enthusiasm for it? Remember, I was giving Bible studies to an individual named Rick. Rick was a construction worker, and he had been laid off from his job, and so it was a perfect opportunity to study the Bible with him. When we had knocked on his door and we had offered studies, he said, you know, I've never really read the Bible before. Not from a Christian background, but I kind of wanted to know about that book called Revelation. So we started to study prophecy with him. And I remember sitting in his living room with a friend of mine giving that Bible study, the first Bible study he had ever had. And as we're opening Daniel 2 and we're sharing about how God answers prayer, we're sharing about how the Bible is true and it can be proven. As we're sharing about how God knows the future and he knows your future today, as God cares about your future, Rick had this look of complete awe on his face complete shock and bewilderment. I remember him leaning forward with his Bible in hand. He said, you mean the Bible is real? God knows the future? Man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, Rick, that's, that's awesome. You see, at first I was not catching his enthusiasm because I had heard this study so many times. We could all share it off the top of our heads. We know this. We're Adventists. We're Christians. But for Rick, it was brand new. And as I caught his excitement suddenly instilled within me, wow, this is incredible. Wow, God's word can be trusted. Wow, God cares about my future. You see, as we share these precious truths that we know, they become so much more dear in our own lives, do they not? Absolutely. We love them like we did not before. As we often go to, you know, every Sabbath we're going to church. And it's our custom, it's our culture. And sometimes we forget the beautiful meaning and purpose behind it. But as we share with others about the Sabbath, why it was created, the relationship God wants to have with us, our own joy and excitement comes back, does it not? That's right. That's why I'm a Sabbath keeper today. One of the other blessings, again, as we share our faith, and I'm sure you've had this experience before you teach Sabbath school or as you prepare to to preach or lead a small group, whatever it may be. Have you been in your room before and you are wrestling with God? You are crying out to God and you're saying, God, unless I am surrendered to you, I can't share this with anyone else. Unless your love is in me, I can't possibly love someone else. Unless you create within me a desire for your word, how can I share it with the world? When we wrestle with God as Jacob did, when we cling to God and we say, God, I'm not letting go until you bless me, God delights to answer those prayers. When we wrestle with God, we come closer to him than we were before we enter into his presence. God is calling us to share. Wrestle with me. Share these beautiful message that you hold dear in your own heart. Each of us are called to enter into the holy place experience. Holy place experience, what does that mean? We notice that there were three different items in the holy place. The screen is kind of cheating, so look away. <laughs> what were those three items in the holy place? The candlesticks, the showbread, and the incense in the holy place, right? Okay, so what do the candlesticks represent? The Holy Spirit and... 
witnessing. We're letting our light shine, are we not? Letting our light shine, it's witnessing. The Holy Spirit is empowering us to be a witness. What about the incense? What does that represent? Our prayers. As our prayers are ascending to Jesus Christ, as our prayers ascend to God, what about the bread? The word of God, it is Jesus Christ who is the word, all closely connected again. You see, often in our Christian life, we'll have two, one or two, of those articles. Let me explain that. We may have a very, very strong devotional life, but if that is not coupled with prayer and with witnessing, soon our devotional life becomes just legalism. It becomes boring and uninteresting. Have you had that before in your experience? Or we just pray and and we lose our focus on the study of God's word. We see in the holy place that in order to have a strong Christian walk, we need all three components. I remember one time in, in my Christian experience where I was studying God's word and I was praying, I was spending time every day, every morning, but it just felt so dry. Have you been there before? It was my routine, but I just wasn't getting so much out of it anymore. And I remember praying to God and saying, God, why? This isn't enjoyable. What's wrong? And I realized that the aspect I was missing was witnessing. I wasn't sharing my faith. And if you take out one of those three components, whichever three it is, our walk with Christ is not as strong. What area do we need to strengthen? Because you see, when you go out and witness, when you share your faith, we hear a lot of questions, do we not? And when those questions come to us, we start to think, oh, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. And what does that drive us to do? To study. And what else? I'm going to pray. God, I don't know, teach me. So as you witness, it drives you deeper into the word of God. Again, it drives you closer into your prayer as well. Steps to Christ, page 94, again, focusing on prayer. It says, Our Heavenly Father waits to bestow upon us the fullness of his blessing. Do you want to experience the fullness of God's blessing? Do you want to experience the fullness of God's blessing? Amen. Amen. It is our privilege to drink largely at the fountain of boundless love. What a wonder it is that we pray so little. God is ready and willing to hear the sincere prayer of the humblest of his children. Why should the sons and daughters of God be reluctant to pray? When prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse, where are treasured the boundless resources of omnipotence. I want some feedback here. She's asking the question, why are the sons and daughters of God reluctant to pray? Why are we sometimes reluctant to pray? What keeps us from it? Why do we not value it as we should? Good, that's true. We haven't developed a habit. It's not our our custom. What else? Absolutely. The devil is going to try and distract us because he knows prayer is powerful. Absolutely. You get down on your knees to have your morning prayer and suddenly your phone is ringing constantly, right? All those distractions, whatever they may be. Yes. We're Americans. We're okay. We do our, ourselves. Yes. You know, we don't have to ask somebody for help. Yeah. We take care of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> We're individualistic. Yeah. I don't need to rely on someone else. Let me get it done. Self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. It's true. We pride ourselves on that. Right. We've got to lay down pride in order to get on our knees. Ah, it's true. To realize your need, recognize your need. Anything else stand out to you? Why don't we value prayer as we should? Ah, yes.
Good. So if we unintentionally, but often this occurs, train our children that, oh, well, that's not important enough for God. Don't pray about that. That's such a small thing. Yes. Praise has to be uh, the center of prayer. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that out. It, could it be that we don't... Yes, one more here. I would like to mention with the pastor in Carlton, mm-hmm. our evangelist. And I knew this, but he said this several years ago on 3ABN. He said that uh, yeah, several hundred had come and came to show the 3ABN audience. And it must have been several hundred. And, uh, and he says, how many of you folks like to breathe? So developing that attitude of prayer, constantly praying without ceasing. I like how prayer without ceasing was once described. It's turning every thought into prayer. So you're thinking about the trials and the things that you need to accomplish that day. Turn that into a prayer. God, help me as I do this. Help me as I do that. Guide me in this. Uh, Could it also be that we don't understand the power of prayer? We undervalue it. I remember being in India... I was outside of Hyderabad. AFCO has a four-month training program there, and they also do health evangelism and such. And, and I was there for a short time. And one of the communities that we were working in, we were having a prophecy seminar there. And one man was attending every night. He was always there early, always excited about the program. Just great visitor to have there at that site. One evening, his family came to us, and he said, so-and-so is sick. Uh, he can't come to the meeting. Can you please come and pray over him? So, of course, after the meeting was over, we walk along these streets, and it's late at night in India, in the middle of nowhere. And we're going down this street, and it's the dirt path, and I'm walking along these tight little huts. And, and we come to this little hut with a dirt floor, and, and it's one room, essentially, and that's where everyone lives. I, of course, had to duck as I entered, but I think most Americans would. It was, it was very, very low. And, and we go in there, and there he was lying on a cot, And if you could see that man, if he was in the United States, he would have said, take him to a hospital right now. Call 911. This man was in horrible condition. I mean, he was just soaked with sweat. He couldn't, he was trying to open his eyes to just welcome us. He couldn't even open his eyes. He was just so dehydrated. I mean, he was an absolute mess. And so as we look at this man and we know that medical care there is horrible, It'd be better to die at home than to go to some of those hospitals and and just have a more prolonged death. Uh, And so we were evaluating what to do, and some of our group had some natural remedies, and they were trying to help and treat, but they are like, he's beyond. We don't know what to do. And the family said, all we want is for you to pray. Can you just pray with him? Well, sure, why not? So we all gathered around him and we kneeled there on the dirt floor beside his cot and his family was around us and and we laid hands on his sweaty body. We prayed over him. And we walked out of there not expecting him to be alive the next day. The very next day, at the beginning of that seminar, who do you think was there? That man on the cot. And he was there, and he was energetic, and he was excited again. I remember asking the family members, he's here? He was so horribly sick yesterday. What happened? 
And the family turned to me with the most condemning statement I have ever heard. Well, of course he's here. You prayed for him. Oh, oh, that's right. Of course he's here. You prayed for him. They valued our prayers more than we did. And yet, thank the Lord, he was able to work through that and work through their faith. Do we value the power of prayer? As we are going out with this divine commission, it can only be accomplished through prayer. It can only be accomplished on our knees. A couple ideas, too, as we side note here, on reviving our devotions. Again, we want to have all three components of the holy place. We want to have that strong witnessing, but it will only be strong if it's coupled with prayer and with Bible study. What do we do when our Bible study gets a little rusty and we get a little bored? What are some ways that we can make it more interesting? Here are just a couple brief ideas. First would be studying the prayers in the Bible. Looking at the prayers of Daniel, of Ezra, of Nehemiah, of Jesus Christ. What did they pray for? What did they not pray for? How did they pray? Noticing in the prayer of Daniel, when confessing the sins, he would always say, our sins. Humility is there, right? Studying the prayers in the Bible. Another, of course, is a word study, looking at subjects such as forgiveness, all throughout the Bible. What does the Bible have to say on that topic? A doctrinal study. We know the 28 fundamentals. We've heard them before. A couple times, I'm sure. 29? <laughs> all right, well, there's a few of them, right? And we, we know them. But do we see Christ and the character of God presented through each one of these doctrines? He's there. Christ is the center, but often we see the rules, and we don't see Jesus as the foundation. So studying out the doctrines, finding Jesus and the love of Christ in hellfire, finding the character of God in the health message. Where is Jesus in each one of these messages that we hold so dear? A character study. Studying the life of, of Samuel or of David and how God worked through them. And then lastly, reading the Bible along with a companion Ellen White book. So you could read the book of Acts and read it with Acts of the Apostles. Read through Desire of Ages and on the bottom it lists what chapter of the Bible it comes from. So refreshing to get that deeper insight. Again, it's just so inspiring. A couple ideas again just on strengthening our own walk with Christ so that we have something to share with others so important. Okay, we're going to skip back here to point number three. We are told that this is the work that we need to do, but how do we do it? Of course, Christ wouldn't give us a commission without giving us a strategy, a plan. What methods are to be followed? Testimonies, volume seven. This is from page 38. It says the Lord's methods are to be followed by doing house-to-house work, by giving Bible readings in families. The worker may gain access to many who are seeking for truth. By opening the scriptures by prayer and exercising faith, he is to teach the people the way of the Lord. So whose methods are to be followed? The Lord's methods, Christ's methods, the amazing facts method of evangelism. (laughs) That is not the focus of the seminar, though I pray that our methods are based on Christ's method. The focus is what was God's method? How did he do evangelism? That's what we want to learn from. That's how we want to grow. All right, so what type of work did God do? What does it say here? House-to-house work. What type of house-to-house work? Bible readings to families. Every home should have a group Bible study. It should be involved in reaching our neighbors and giving Bible studies to our friends. A center for evangelism. Now, house-to-house work, we often think, does that mean I need to go around door-to-door and do surveys? No. But do you know your neighbors already? Have you come close to them? Have you built friendships with them? How can you turn that relationship into a spiritual relationship? Taking bread to your neighbors again, how can we come close to them and thereby reach their hearts? I remember being in the country of Indonesia this past September. 
Now, if you haven't heard too much about Indonesia, this surprised me. Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. The largest Muslim country. And right there in the heart of Indonesia, in Surakarta, we have a four-month AFCO training program. Largest Muslim country. And we have an evangelism training program. It was so incredible to be there with the students. They were doing quite a lot of health outreach, because again, you're working with the Muslim population, so trying to reach their needs and build those friendships so that there's not too many challenges created. Speaking of which, I remember a couple months before I get there, or got there, I heard the reports. A call porter had been out canvassing, selling books in that area, and, and someone had become very, very upset with him, did not like the fact he was selling that Christian material, and slapped him across the face. Another time a canvasser was out, and again had a confrontation with a man, and he chased him down the street with a sword. Can you imagine that? Now, not all places in Indonesia are like that, but this particular area, that was the controversy they were facing. So here are students, and I am training them on evangelism. I'm training them on outreach. And as I'm preparing them to go out for that afternoon training, can you guess who was afraid? I was the one praying to God and saying, God, don't let them die. God, please protect them. Help no one to be chased by a sword. Those were the prayers that I was having. But that was not a fear those students had. As they were gathering their outreach material, they kept coming back to me with testimonies. Pray for our Bible study. We have a Bible study today with a Muslim woman. This will be the first Bible study. Pray today as we go to this Muslim family. We're going to be doing some health remedies with them. Pray for our outreach there. The students were excited. And I look at them and I wonder, God, where is my faith? So often here in the States, and we do these evangelism training programs, we have people come to us and they say, I don't know about this house-to-house thing. I don't know about offering Bible studies. What if they, what if they say no? What if they say no? Our students are chased with swords down the street. People across the world are facing persecution. Why are we afraid? There you go. Every no gets you closer to a yes. It's true. Why are we afraid? Is it because, well, why are we afraid? Let me open that up. Why are we afraid? Maybe we're not, but why are, why does it see that Christians at large are afraid? Afraid to share their faith. Yeah, okay, so not trained, maybe? Concerned about how to do it correctly? It's good. We don't know enough. What if they ask a question? I don't know the answer to it. What do we say? We're not relying on God. Absolutely. When we look at those early disciples, when they went out, were they afraid? They went out and they were praying, God, help us to be bold. They're going out on fire. In fact, the authorities would come to them and they'd say, if you keep preaching Christ, we're going to throw you into prison. What was their response? I've got to obey God rather than men. I can't stop preaching. Chain me up if you need to, but I'm going to write a letter to the churches. Throw me in the dungeon, but I will still be singing songs to God. Oh, to have that passion today. Oh, to have that first love experience. Over the next few afternoons, we're going to be looking specifically at this method, Christ's method alone. Ministry of Healing, page 143, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his empathy to them. He ministered to their needs. He won their confidence. And then he bade them what? Follow me. Christ came close to people. He ministered to them. He mingled with them. I am a sixth-generation Seventh-day Adventist. Can you believe it goes back that far? (laughs) Six generations. But you know when I encountered, again, and I had this conversion experience, and I was passionate about ministry, I had a challenge before me. Because everyone I went to school with, 
Adventist. Church, obviously, Adventist. My friends, Adventist. Work, Adventist. How was I going to reach people for Christ if I was only in my bubble? How could I give Bible studies if I don't even know anyone that doesn't know Jesus? And I realized I needed to start mingling. I needed to start coming close to people, sympathizing with them, ministering to them, so that by God's grace, I could win their confidence and share Jesus Christ with them. Now note, what method gives true success? Christ's method. There is no other method that will give true success. Note, it says true success. Does that mean that there could be such a thing as false success? Absolutely. Have you ever heard of an evangelist by the name of Jonathan Edwards? You may be familiar with one sermon he, he spoke entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Have you heard of it before? If you have read it, then your own thoughts are trembling, right? Jonathan Edwards would go around to small churches and he would preach about hellfire and the judgment of God. He would explain to them about how hell would burn forever, how God saw you like a venomous serpent, and all he wanted to do was dangle you over the flames, see you burning forever in hell as your flesh drizzled off. Can you imagine hearing a sermon like that? And that was called revival at those churches. Now, can you imagine what happened? What do you think happened when when the altar call came? Would people come forward? They did. They didn't want to burn in hell forever. They didn't want to be tortured. So they came forward and they were weeping and they were crying out to God and they were confessing their sins. But was it a genuine, heartfelt conversion? No. The next week they were back to their old ways. They had forgotten about that. Imagine again, or picture with me again, uh, 9-11. Do you remember all the Bibles that flew off the bookshelves? You couldn't keep a Bible in the store. People suddenly became very religious. Churches were packed once again. It looked like it was Christmas or Easter. Why? People were afraid. They were terrified. But soon they go back to their routine and life as normal continues. You see, if we try to use any evangelistic method other than Christ's method, it will not bring true success. We will not see those lasting results. Christ's method must be the center. So breaking down Christ's method here. First we see that Christ mingled with men. He came close to men. He desired their good. He showed sympathy. He ministered to their needs, which then won their confidence. And then he bade them do what? Follow me. There's a process here. Come close to people, meet their needs, and invite them to follow Jesus. Continuing on, verse 4. This call, this great commission, is a call to us, certainly collectively as a church, but also to us as individuals. Ministry of Healing, page 105. He who becomes a child of God should henceforth look upon himself as a link in the chain let down to save the world, one with Christ and his plan of mercy going forth with him to seek and save the lost. Each one of us has a crucial role in evangelism. Each one of us is that that link in the chain. What happens to a chain if you remove one of its links? It falls apart. There's no strength. Likewise, we are that body of Christ. We need every piece of that body intact. No amputations allowed. Every one of us has a different testimony. Every one of us has a different experience that someone needs to hear. I know for a fact you can reach someone that I can't. I may be able to reach someone that you can't because we all have different experiences. We all have divine appointments that God is giving to us. Let me show this to you from the Bible. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians. 
Second Corinthians, and we're going to start off in chapter one. Second Corinthians chapter one, starting in verse three. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by whom? By whom? By God. In other words, God comforts us so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we have received from God. What struggles have you gone through? What trials have you gone through? How has God comforted you? Pray for divine appointments because as we do, God will bring people into our lives that have had that same experience, but they're stuck. They haven't experienced the victory that you've experienced. It is an opportunity for us to share with them how God has comforted us. A few months ago, I was on a plane headed back to uh, Sacramento, and I was chatting with this sweet woman sitting next to me. Before I go on the airplane, I'm praying, God, where do you want me to sit? You know who's going to be on this plane? What divine appointments help me to sit so I can meet these individuals? And it was a blessing that day to meet this, this precious woman and to hear part of her testimony. She began to share with me about her grandkids and her family and And after some time, I noticed that she had a medical ID alert badge on. Have you seen those before? Medical alert band. And so I I had already built a friendship with her, so I casually began to ask her about it. And she began to tell me her story. You see, recently her husband had passed away. And a couple months later, her daughter also passed away. She was already experiencing health issues, so if you take all those factors and combine them, she was now really struggling. She was on a lot of medication. She was scared about the future. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. After listening to her for some time, I was then able to share with her my recent testimony about how this past September I was having challenges breathing and how it continued to get worse until... The beginning of October, I ended up in the emergency room with a pulmonary embolism and a thrombosis in my inferior vena cava. In other words, I had a blood clot in my lung and another one not too far from my heart. And so there I am in the hospital, and I was so blessed with the praying family. I was so blessed with their encouragement and their nurturing and, and just feeling the peace of God. Knowing that whatever struggle we go through, whatever challenge it is, just knowing that God was there and it was in his hands. And just experiencing the peace of God. And I began to share with her my testimony. I began to share with her about the complete healing in my own life and how God promises to do the same in her life today. I know without a doubt that God put me next to her. God had comforted me so that by his grace I could comfort her. Before we got off that plane that day, I reached into my bag and I grabbed out a little book, Steps to Christ. And I said, here, I brought this book for you. I'm on an airplane. I told her, I brought this book for you. And she looked at me. (laughs) But you see, I did. Because before I got on that plane, I had prayed, God, you know who I'm going to meet. You know what they need to hear. Help me to bring a book that I can share. I brought this for you. You did? As we were getting off the plane, she got up and we gave each other a big hug and went on our way. You see, that's the power of God. What is your testimony? What have you been through? What are your experiences? Often we try to hide them in the closet, but God has given us victory. He has comforted us. Those are the testimonies God is calling us to share today. Don't hide it. Share it for God's glory. Point five, uh, again, we're looking at point eight, eight points today. Point five, this is a call to the church. Testimony, volume six, and this is page 296. It says, wherever a church is established, all the members should engage actively in missionary work. 
They should visit their, every family in their neighborhood and know their spiritual condition. If professed Christians had engaged in this work from the time their names were first placed on the church books, thousands upon thousands would today stand with God's commandment-keeping people. Wow. Can you imagine knowing the spiritual condition of everyone in your neighborhood, being able to come close and meet their needs? How many members are called to engage actively in missionary work? All the members, every member. Have you ever had someone come up to you before and say, oh, you know, it's nice you do outreach, it's nice you do ministry, but that's not really my gift. Have you heard that before? But is it the gift of every church member? Yes, it is. Every member should engage actively in missionary work. Now, does the missionary work look a little different based upon your talents? Sure it does. But every member engaged in ministry, whatever ministry God has opened up for you, however he has prepared you. I have this friend that drives me crazy. Do you have friends like that? You see, all she wants to talk about is her boyfriend. That's all she wants to talk about. There is just nothing else on her mind. Oh, he's so perfect. Oh, he does this. Oh, he did that. Oh, he pretty much walks on clouds, right? Prince Charming can do no wrong. After a while, you just, can we talk about the weather? Talk about sports? I don't know. I don't care. Anything? You see, I never have to remind her to talk about her significant other because it's always the first thing on her mind. What if our walk with Christ, what if our relationship with Christ was the same? What if it was the same? Where people know we're a Christian when they're around us. We can't help but talk about Christ because he's our best friend. We can't help but share Jesus because we have seen how he has worked miracles in our lives that very day. Do we have that love for Christ today? Is our relationship so strong with him? How do we build a relationship with Christ? I'm going to compare it first to how do you build a relationship with your spouse? How do you keep that relationship strong? You have to spend time together. Communication, yes. Communication is key. What else? Sorry? Loyalty, absolutely. There has to be trust. That has to be the foundation. Time, communication, loyalty, trust. That's the foundation of our relationships with each other. And it's the same with Christ. Doing what pleases him. You want to make your spouse happy. It's the same with Christ. Are we spending time communicating with him? Are we growing in our love with him? Do we trust him? I remember meeting this one young man. Uh, he was about 16 or 17 years old. He was at a church that I was working with, and he was going through a lot in his life. His dad had been in and out of his life. He was raised by a single mom. He had been doing drugs at the school, selling drugs even. And so he's coming to this point of his life, and he's seeing the Christians at the church, and he's saying, you know, I, I'm kind of interested in that, kind of want to check it out, but he wasn't fully committed. So he came to me one day, and he said, you know, I just don't think that I can trust God. And I told him, you're right. You can't. Because you don't know him. Because you don't know him. I could tell him all day long, trust God. Thou shalt trust God. But he's not going to because he doesn't know him. He hasn't spent time with him, and I encouraged him. If you spend time getting to know him, I have no doubt you will trust him like you've never trusted anyone else in your life. You will find that he is the only one that will never let you down. But it takes that communication. It takes time. Point six as we begin to close. How are we to accomplish this mission? Again, this is a great commission. This gospel is supposed to go to the uttermost parts of the world. How do we accomplish that? Some might think of the words perseverance, endurance, 
fortitude, courage, strength. But I'm going to solicit today that the only way this mission can be accomplished is with tears. With tears? That's not how we'd want to accomplish this great mission, is it? Psalms 126. Psalms 126, verse 5 and 6. The Bible tells us here, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seeds for sowing, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with hell. Do you want to come back with joy? The only way we will see that harvest is if we first go forth doing what? With tears. We go forth weeping. We go forth crying. Have you cried over your loved ones before? Have you cried over your children as you have seen them wander away from the faith? And you're crying for their salvation. When we value a soul as Christ does, we will see miracles happen. When we go forth and we are crying, God promises we will return with joy. I remember working in this, this neighborhood. Again, it was a very rough neighborhood. And, and I met this woman by the name of Rebecca. I was thrilled to meet Rebecca because Rebecca was known in that community as the spiritual leader. So anything Rebecca said about the Bible, you did it. She would bring the kids to church every Sunday. She was the one that they went to when they had Bible questions or when they needed you to to pray that they wouldn't be sent to jail. She was the one that they went to. And so when Rebecca accepted Bible studies, I was thrilled. Wow, this whole community is going to be converted. All these kids are going to be coming to Sabbath school on Saturday mornings. And imagine that church, they're going to need to build a bigger church. And I had all these great plans in mind. Have you ever done that before? We have our strategy. We know how God's supposed to work. But I remember one day, and I showed up for that Bible study with Rebecca, and before I could even knock on the door, she opened it. And she yelled out, Are you Seventh-day Adventist? Caught me off guard. I'd never heard someone say that before in in a negative fashion. And I I said, Yes, I'm an Adventist Christian. And her response, I don't want any more of these Bible studies. And she shut the door. Now, in case you're worried, I have never had that reaction since. That was a one-time deal. But as I'm walking down those stairs, can you imagine how crushed I was? God, that was not what was supposed to happen. You are not following my plan here. I was crushed. I am fighting back the tears. God, that was my best Bible study friend. I was excited. And now look. And as I walked out of that neighborhood, one of my other Bible City friends called out. And she said, Carissa, what happened? Oh, it's okay. You know, don't worry about it. Okay, well, are we still in for our Bible study today? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll be here. And I came back that afternoon for our Bible study. And once the prophecy seminar began, she began to come every night. And I would pick her up and bring her to the seminar. And at that end of the seminar... She chose to accept Jesus Christ as her personal Savior and be baptized. To attend that little local church. And when I saw her make that decision, again, it just reminded me, God, your plans are so much greater than mine. I maybe didn't value that soul as I should. I'm thinking of bigger, greater, grander things. And it wasn't until I fell on the rock broken It wasn't until I'm crying out to God and saying, God, my plans failed. It wasn't until I reached that point that I could truly value the the worth of that one soul. To see God work a miracle in her life. Have you gone out crying? God promises you will return with joy. Do you believe that today? Amen. Welfare Ministry, page 97. It says, How can the great work of the third angel's message be accomplished? It must be largely accomplished by persevering individual effort, 
by visiting the people in their homes. In other words, personal individual effort does not mean media ministries. We hire an evangelist. Yes, those are important things, and yes, they work together. But each of us as individuals are called to reach our neighborhood, are called to reach our family and our friends for Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt before, maybe you're thinking now, I don't know about that. I'm not sure I can do this. We have doubt in our hearts and our minds. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't know the answer? Did you know that the disciples also experienced doubt? In fact, it happened just before the Great Commission. Turn with me back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to start off in verse 16. Matthew 28 and verse 16. It says, And the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Okay, so what characters are we seeing in this story? Jesus and... The disciples, the 11 disciples. Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Who is doubting? Some of the disciples are doubting. Are you kidding me? Seriously. The disciples had just spent, wait for that airplane to pass. The disciples had just spent how much time with Jesus Christ? How many years? Three and a half years. They had seen him raise the dead to life. They had seen people cleansed of leprosy. They had seen incredible, incredible miracles. In fact, here they are in the presence of Christ. The one that they just saw hanging from the cross. The one who is now resurrected. They see the mark in his hands and his side, and some are looking at him and doing what? Doubting. How incredible. How horrific. How could they still be doubting? How often do we doubt? We have seen the power of God in our lives. We have seen the miracles that he has worked. We have seen the prayers that he has answered, and yet we come to him and we doubt. What is God's answer? What is God's cure for doubt? Did he work another miracle? Did he work another miracle? Did he call down fire from heaven? No. Instead, he told them what? Go therefore and make disciples. If we have doubt, the answer to doubt, go therefore. If we're not sure this is our calling, if we're doubting our purpose in ministry, go therefore. Go therefore and make disciples. The only way to get rid of doubt is to go as a missionary for Jesus Christ. And as we move forward in faith, we see him opening doors. We see those prayers answered. We see the hand of God move. Point seven, again, as we wrap up here, every member is to be active. It says the living church of God will be waiting, watching, and working. None are to stand in a neutral position. All are to represent Christ in active, earnest effort to save perishing souls. There was a missionary by the name of James Calvert, and he was going out to the Fiji Islands. Now, at that time, those islands were known for being inhabited by cannibals. Is that the place you would take your family? Here he is on a boat, and he is heading there with his whole family, and they are going to live on the island as a missionary. The ship captain turned to James Calvert, and he said, What are you, a fool? You're bringing your kids, you're bringing your wife, you're going to this island, you're going to be eaten by the cannibals. What are you doing? You're a fool. Aren't you afraid to die? James Calvert looked at him with full faith in his eyes, and he said, No, because you see, we died before we came here. 
We died before we came here. Have we died? Have we surrendered all to Christ? Have we laid it all on the altar? Have we truly surrendered all? Because as we do, we will see God work miracles. Jim Elliott once said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This man knew what he was talking about. He died in Ecuador as a missionary. He gave what he could not keep, but he, by God's grace, gained what he will never lose. And lastly, every member is to be trained. Christian Service, page 69. Let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. If we want to grow in spirituality, the answer again is found in being trained and leading souls into that truth, the saving truth of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be looking at the next few afternoons, tomorrow afternoon and also Thursday afternoon. We're going to make it a little bit more practical now. Uh, not now. I know that you're done. <laughs> it's hot. Uh, but thir- or Wednesday and Thursday, a little more practical. And we're going to be diving in. Okay, we know it's important. We know it's what we're called to do. We know that's the purpose of the church. But how do I do it? How do I answer those questions? How do I make friends for Christ? What do you say to lead your coworker to a spiritual um, conversation? How do you lead someone to accept Christ as their Savior? Uh, How do you share your testimony? How do you give a Bible study? We're going to be looking at all these components over the next two afternoons. So I hope you take an opportunity to come on back and we'll continue to, to learn and grow together. Let's close with this last quote here. Our prayer today. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. In the afternoon works too. Make this your very first work. Let your prayer be, take me, O Lord, it's holy thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service, abide with me, and let all my work be wrought in thee. This is a daily matter. Each morning, consecrate yourself to God for that day. Surrender all your plans to him to be carried out or to given up as his providence shall indicate. Thus, day by day, you may, uh, you may be giving your life into the hand of God, and thus your life will be molded more and more after the life of Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 Consecrating our lives to God today, saying, Lord, I want to be a missionary. I want to be an ambassador, not in some foreign land necessarily, but right here in my community, in my neighborhood, in my family, with my friends. God is calling us to be missionaries. Would you please stand with me as we have a closing word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for the ways that you have worked in our hearts and our lives, for the saving truth that you have shown to us, Father, for the victories that you have given to us. And Lord, right now we are consecrating our lives to you. We are laying our plans and our hopes in your hands. We are trusting in the God who knows the future. And Lord, today and our prayer this week, please give us divine appointments. Lead us to people, Father, that are seeking to know you. Give us the words to speak. May you teach us how to speak a word in due season. And for these blessings, we thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon.